All right. Well, open your Bibles, Psalm 120. Welcome, fellow travelers on the journey to joy through the Psalms of Ascents. If you uh, haven't started a reading plan, that's great. You can start today. But if you already have started, which I hopefully you have, remember option one, option one for the first week, which would be last week, but if you're behind, then you could start it this week. You read Psalm 125 times. So you're like, okay, I know a few things about this. I'm ready to hear what God has. If you followed option two, then your journey of joy has begun with the first five Psalms, 120 through 124. So uh, I hope you're enjoying that. Hopefully you'll keep your roadmap with the seven turnouts, your rough guide that we went over last week with the five travel tips. Keep them handy, and hopefully they'll help you work your way through. Well, today, our journey to joy begins with Psalm 120 in a place that is hostile. A place that is hostile to God. It's the land of Meshach. Among the tents of Kadar, Meshach and Kadar represent a hostile place filled with hostile people. Let's look at Psalm 120, and hopefully you've read it five times. Let's read it one more. Psalm 120, a song of ascents. In my trouble, I cried to the Lord, and He answered me. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you, and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? Sharp arrows of the warrior with the burning coals of the broom tree. Woe is me, for I sojourn. That's a temporary, a, te- a temporary stay. I sojourn in Meshech, for I dwell among the tents of Kadar. Even the dwelling there is a, it's settling for a short time. Too long has my soul had its dwelling with those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Well, our journey to joy, like that of every Christ follower, begins in a land far from God, among a people at war with Him, at war with His purposes, and at war with His peace and with His people. Our journey begins in a place of conflict and and far from anything like joy. It's kind of interesting. We're on this journey to joy. We're talking about traveling to the place of God's presence so we can worship His presence with His people in His place. And yet it begins in a place very far from God. Uh, Meshach Meshach represents a nomadic people that lived in what is now Russia to the far north. And Kadar, though, is another nomadic people, a people that aren't stable, a people that are unsettled, and they live down in the south. And so more than likely, the psalmist here is not saying, I live in these two places and and travel between them. What he's saying is, I live in a place that figuratively is surrounded by people far from God. I live, it'd be like us saying, we live in Timbuktu, way far away. Timbuktu is a real place. But when we refer to Timbuktu, we mean, man, that's really out there. And so he's saying, look, it's like I live among these barbarians, these unbelievers, Meshach and Kadar. I'm sandwiched between them. I'm surrounded by people who are far from God. 
In other words, this godly believer is a sojourner, a temporary resident in a land far from the Lord, among a people at war with the Lord and at war with his people. So our journey begins in Psalm 20 in a place hostile, uh, uh, in a place that is hostile to God. But our journey also begins in a world that's filled with distressing troubles. A world that is filled with distressing troubles. Notice what he says. In my trouble, I cried to the Lord and he answered me. Look, when you're surrounded with people who are far from God and at war with God and with his people and with his purposes and plans, you will eventually find yourself between a rock and a hard place. And that's what distress means. Distress means where it literally means you're in a tightly confined place and you just can't move. You can't get out. We have so many figures of speech backed into a corner. I'm in a bind. I'm between a rock and a hard place. He's saying, look, I am so overwhelmed. I am so surrounded by those who are opposed to God and who are filled with hate, anger and rage. And I need relief and even rescue in my trouble. I cried to the war, to the Lord. Now, in our, our journey to joy begins in a place of anger, hatred, and violence. A place where people fight over their gods and their places of worship. That's the idea here. Listen, I got thinking this week. I mean, it was really ironic. We would go in the evenings to praise and, and to hear the message and speaker. And these last couple of days before we went in, we'd hear about something going on in France. And then you came out and Turkey's about ready to be toppled. Listen, this, these are crazy times. And I, you really start thinking about what's going on in our world, specifically the, the war between radical Islam and the West is really a war over these three issues that we've been talking about in this series. God's presence. Where does God's presence really dwell? Does it dwell in Jerusalem with the Jews? Or does it dwell in Mecca and Medina with, with Islam? It's about God's presence and the dwelling place of God's presence. It's also about God's people. Who are the true people of God? Is it the Christians? Is it the Jews? Is it radical uh, Islam? It's also about God's place. God's place. The whole war with Islam is about uh, their objective is to create a caliphate, a place, a state, a place where their God, the presence of their God, Allah, is submitted to by all people, and, and, and that place is to spread all over the world. It's really ironic. These things that we're talking about, God's promise that His presence will dwell with His people in His place is distorted by the enemy Satan and to deceiving the world's religions to fight and war over these very things. That's something you're not going to hear on CNN, Right? You gotta get God's perspective on these things. So that's what he's saying. So we can relate to this because increasingly the war is coming to us. Uh, we read passages like this in a, 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 in a country with relative freedom and with, uh, with uh, relative religious liberty, but increasingly those things are taken away and pastors and churches are finding themselves in distressing trouble, surrounded by those that hate God, surrounded that, by those that hate God's presence, 
God's name needs to be removed from everything. And pretty soon we're going to find ourselves between a rock and a hard place. We're going to find ourselves in a bind. And we're going to see these hostilities increase. And we're going to ask ourselves, what do I do? So when you think about the conflict, when you think about living in Meshach and Kadar, I want you to think on several levels. You can think on a personal level, obviously. You know, sometimes you get in a bind being a believer because of unbelievers. So think of a local level or a a personal level, but also think of a local level. It can happen in a community. It can happen at work. It can happen at school. Think also of a national level. Increasingly, there is rage. You know, there's supposed to be this day of rage that would happen. Listen, it will happen. It didn't happen this time, but it will happen. That's That's the area we're going as a nation. And then it's on a global level. So, This psalm speaks to all levels of distressing trouble in a hostile world. The question is, we as believers are called to be peacemakers, amen? We're called to be people of peace. How do you live as a Christ follower? How do you live as a person of peace? How do you live as a peacemaker in a hostile world? This psalm is going to give us three life skills. This psalm is about learning to live at peace in a hostile world. Whether personal, local, national, global, it's going to apply to all. And I think it's going to give you some answers and some life skills that maybe are new to you. Maybe I know some of them are new to me. I know them in my head, but I haven't learned how to really practice them in my heart. So I hope this is going to help you. Let's take a look at it. I don't hope, I know. If we'll give ourselves to the Word of God this morning, this is going to help. Three life skills for learning to live at peace in a hostile world. Here's life skill number one. Learn to pray. Learn to pray with confident trust in the Lord. Learn to pray in confident trust in the Lord. Verses 1 and 2 is all about that. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. In my trouble I cried to the Lord, and He answered me, Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. Listen, when life seems out of control and filled with conflict, the first thing you want to learn to do is to have confident trust in the Lord that comes from a past pattern of answered prayer. Confident trust in the Lord that comes from a past pattern of answered prayer. Past, you could also say past grace in answered prayer or even past gratitude. Now, look at what he says. This is all about what verse 1 is about. Verse 1 is about a confident trust in the Lord that's built on, that flows from a, a, a past pattern of answered prayer. Circumstances may feel out of control. Listen, circumstances may feel out of control. And here's the reality. They are. They are out of your control. You know, we panic when life feels like it's out of control. Well, guess what? Every day is out of our control. Amen? And God just allows the craziness to come in to remind us of what's always true. Life is out of my control, but you and your circumstances are never, ever, ever out of His control. Amen? That's the good news. Now, Christ followers who know this truth and put it into practice will pray. Listen, if life is out of my control, but it's always 
under His control, then there's only one thing a Christ follower is going to do. Amen? You're going to pray. You're going to pray because you're saying to God, I can't do this, but you can. And prayerlessness is evidence of our own pride and self-confidence. Whereas prayerfulness is a recognition that, God, I can't control this, but you can. Notice what he says. In my trouble, I cried to the Lord. Now, literally, the way this is written in the Hebrew, it's to the Lord, my distress. To the Lord. I like the emphasis of that. The emphasis is the second there's trouble, to the Lord. Now, what do we tend to do? You know, when someone says, let's pray, and we're like, is it that bad? You know, has it come, is it that bad? I thought we could handle this. No, in our distress, to the Lord, to the Lord, right? Now, over the course of time, as we pray, we develop a pattern of answered prayer. So here's what he says in verse 1. In my trouble, I cried to the Lord, and he answered me. And again, the way this is written in the original language, it puts, I cried, he answered. Isn't that cool? To the Lord, in my distress, I cried, he answered. I cried, he answered. That's a pattern of prayer. Now, there's some question whether verse 1 refers to confidence due to answered prayer in the past or confidence in answered prayer for the present problem. Most of your Bibles that you have right now on your, on your lap or on the table uh, translate this in the past tense, so it's a past pattern of prayer. But a couple of them, like the NIV, uh, actually not a couple of them, the NIV translates it in a present tense. I call on the Lord and He answers me. Um, so, these, they, you know, scholars, they argue about that and everything. But here's why I think this is talking about a past answer to prayer. Because as you read the rest of the psalm, there's no answer to his prayer. You're reading through this psalm, and it doesn't end with an answer from the Lord. You're kind of left. I mean, this is just the weirdest little psalm. Man, it's filled with conflict, trouble. He prays, and it's like, oh, I don't know. What happens? I, you know, I... Every, every night at youth camp, we had a play, a drama. And so each night they'd leave, you know, it would say to be continued. And they were so good at this. You're always like, well, oh man, how's this going to end? How's this going to end? Well, that's the way this is. You're like, what happened? You're in Meshach, sandwiched between Kadar. What happened? Well, for that reason, I think verse 1 is answered prayer in the past. And the rest of the psalm is a present prayer that we have that has not yet answered. But either way, here's the point. Here's what I want you to think about. However you see verse 1 in relation to the rest of the psalm, the point is the same. A pattern of answered prayer builds confident trust in the Lord. So let me just stop and ask you a very basic question. May I ask you, do you pray? Do you pray? Do you pray? And do you have a past pattern of answered prayer? Can verse 1 become your testimony? Is it your testimony? In my distress, I asked, he answered. Because basically the patterns there, I gave it to you. It's really so simple. Adversity, asking, answering. There's the pattern of answered prayer. There's a pattern that will build confident trust in the Lord. Problems. I pray, and then I praise because he answers. Man, all there. Basically, that's an outline of the rest of the Psalms right there. There's the basics of prayer. When you have a problem, you pray, he answers, you praise him for that answer. 
If we're going to live at peace in a hostile world, then we need to develop the life skill of praying and confident trust in the Lord. We need to develop, in other words, here's what he's saying. He's, in verse 1, he's reaching back in his spiritual file cabinet, and he's pulling out the file that says answered prayer, and he's flipping through that file, and he goes, wow, problem, prayed, praise. Adversity, asked, answered. Oh, man, do that. And I know some of you, that shows my age, a file cabinet. So he went back in his hard drive and he looked at his backed up files and he pulled it up and he said, look, there's a pattern of answered prayer. I'm in a rock and a hard place, but that's okay. I've got a file cabinet of answered prayer that I can build. Listen, when we pray, listen to me, when we pray in times of adversity, prayer shifts our focus. From our adversity and from our anxiety to our almighty God. He says he prays not to a God, not to some God. He prays to the Lord, capital L-O-R-D. The promise-keeping, ever-present Redeemer who has promised to rescue his people. He shifts his focus from his adversity to the Lord. To the Lord in my distress. To the Lord in my distress. Also, answered prayer builds confidence in the I am God. My God not only can answer prayer, let me testify to you today, he does answer to prayer. Look at my file cabinet. Look at my hard drive. Let me show to you. And so he says, I cried, he answered. I cried, he answered. My God is powerful to answer prayer. Listen, if we're going to live in peace in a hostile world, We need to have this kind of pattern of answered prayer before the trouble gets bad. Before. And you may be here this morning and you're saying, man, Chris, I don't have that file cabinet. I I mean, I pray, but I I don't really keep track of answers. You know, we're great at giving prayer requests. We're great at taking prayer requests. And then we start slipping on the actual praying part. How many of you said, I'll pray for you? And never did it. Okay. Okay. How many have a problem with lying? Okay, okay, well, I get it. So then we do pray because we grow and we mature. But then we'll, I think we're really bad at recording answers to prayer. Amen? And praising God for those answers. We kind of we get an answer to pray. Oh, that's cool. Yay, God. And then we move on. All right? So here's the idea. You may not have a very big file cabinet, but you can start today. Start today to record those answers to prayer. Build confidence. And here's the second thing. Confident trust in the Lord comes from the future power of answered prayer. So it comes from a past pattern and a future power in answered prayer. We could also call that future grace in answered prayer. All right? So your confidence builds on what has happened in the past, and that shifts your focus to the answers you need in the present, and you trust God. So here's three things I want you to see from verse 2. So he says, okay, there's my confidence in the past. Now, deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. Right now I'm in a problem, and right now I need an answer. And so three, uh, four things. The focus in prayer is not on the problems or the problem people, but on the person of the Lord. The focus is on, not on the problems or the problem people, but on the person of the Lord. And notice that's emphasized, oh Lord, Lord, it's you. It's you and you alone. 
It's you that I'm focusing on. This is who the psalmist, to the Lord in my distress. Number two, the focus is on the Lord. Why? Why focus on the Lord? The focus is on the Lord because only he has the power to deliver us from problem people. So look at what he says in verse two. Deliver my soul from lying lips. Deliver. Oh, Lord, you're the person with the power to deliver me. Now, this idea of delivering, this verb, this word here, deliver, is almost always used in the Bible with God as the subject. And it's the idea of rescuing and almost snatching you up out of. So here you are in the rock in a hard place. Here you are uh, backed into a corner. There's no way possible that you can get out. You're surrounded by unbelieving hatred of you for loving God, hatred of God. And you're like, I can't get out of this. Well, Lord, you're powerful enough. You can get me out. It's Daniel in the lion's den. The Lord was able to live. It's the three dudes in the fiery furnace. Our Lord can get us out of tough situations when we're surrounded by unbelieving conflict, lies, and slander. Listen to how Psalm 30, uh, these three, uh, this, this word's used three times in the Psalms. Listen to these Psalms. God has the power to rescue you and to help us in time of need. Listen to these psalms. Psalm 31, 2. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me quickly. There's our word. Be to me a rock of strength, a stronghold to save me. Listen to Psalm 40, 13. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. Make haste, O Lord, to help me. Don't you hear the anxiety? You hear the pressure? Lord, listen, if you don't come through, I'm in deep. You know what? I'm in trouble. So come, hasten. Psalm 71. Oh, God, hasten to deliver me. Oh, God, hasten to my help. Listen, focus on the Lord because he has the power. He alone has the power to deliver you out of your conflict. Number three, the focus is on the Lord because only he can keep his promise to deliver his people from problems and from problem people. He has the power and he's promised to use it for us. You know, here's the reality. Islam has a powerful God. Islam has a sovereign God. Allah is sovereign and powerful. So much so, they constantly are saying, if, he, if, 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 if Allah wills, you know, if he wills, if he wills, if he wills. What they don't have is a God who has promised to be an ever-present help in time of need, to use that power to deliver his people. So, again, in the Psalms, there's all these verses that say, He has delivered me. Psalm 54 7, for he has delivered me from all trouble, and my eye has looked with satisfaction upon my enemies. Listen to Psalm 86 13. For your loving kindness toward me is great, and you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. Psalm 56, 13. For you have delivered my soul from death, indeed my feet from stumbling, so that I may walk before God in the light of the living. Psalm 86, 13. For your loving kindness toward me is great, and you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. What is in all those passages is, God, you are, you are the person who is powerful enough to help and you have promised to do it and you have kept your promises because of your loving kindness. Now, let me say something here. To be honest, if our prayers are not focused on the person of the Lord 
and the power of the Lord and the promises of the Lord, then we're not really praying. He said, but I pray all the time. I talk to God all the time. I get really concerned about people who appear on the outside to live very far from God and yet say they pray all the time. Have you ever encountered those people? Oh, I pray all the time. But let me ask you, are you focused on the person of the Lord, the great I am God, the one true God who is the ever-present Redeemer who came in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ, to deliver us from our sins? Are you focused on the power of the Lord? Are you really just complaining to God about things you wish would be different? Are you focused on the promises of the Lord in your prayer? So here's where praying Scripture back to God comes in. I don't know about you, but I'm so fallen, messed up, self-centered, and just off track with God that if I don't pray Scripture back to God, then my prayers are all over the place. Here's the thing I know when I follow a biblical pattern of prayer like the Lord's Prayer. I'm going to be focused on the Lord, the person of the Lord. I'm going to be focused on His power, and I'm going to be focused on His promises. And the way I know that is I'm praying Scripture back to God. Amen? Can you testify? Any of you testify to that? Best way to keep your mind from wandering, best way to stay focused, best way to build confident trust in the Lord. Now, here's the fourth thing, uh, fourth principle we learn here about future, uh, future uh, power of answered prayer. The focus is on the Lord because only He can deliver the whole person in this life and the life to come. Remember last week, one of our travel tips was the Psalms speak to the whole person. So I really love when he says, deliver my soul. Now, you got to understand the soul. The soul is the whole person, but it's the whole person orientated to life. Orientated to life. So it involves your emotions. Your, it just involves all that you are. The Lord has promised to deliver his people, body and soul, from death and eternal damnation, but not necessarily in the way we would prefer, prefer or at the time. Listen, sometimes we say, Lord, deliver my soul, and he lets our body be taken in death, but we're still saved in eternal life. And guess what? One day we're going to be what? Raised up again, and our body's going to be... So, so you got to understand, God always saves his people, body and soul. Sometimes, though... He lets the body go in this life, still saves the soul, but then brings body and soul together in the life to come. Now, I don't know about you, but I prefer, you know, to be saved physically now and spiritually. How many? Amen. But we have to submit our prayers unto God. And the good news is this. When you pray for a believer with cancer to be spared and to be healed and they still die of cancer, they're still going to be saved, body and soul. Amen? They will be saved, body and soul. These are, the, these are the kind of things that we need to be praying. Either way, God will keep His promise. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 10, 28. Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul. But rather, fear Him who is able to destroy body and soul in hell. Fear Him. Call unto Him. Receive His grace. Because he can save you. Here's what 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here's the deal. We're facing temptation. 
We're facing, we're in a rock and a hard place. We're being slandered, maybe someday even threatened with death. And that's okay. We have a confident trust that my God is powerful enough to save. And he will save body and soul. He, they may take my body, but he's going to raise me back up. And I'm going to be saved. Build confident trust in answered prayer. But what do you do? What do you do when God delays answering your prayers? You ever had a prayer that didn't get answered immediately? What do you do when God's answer to your prayers is deliverance through suffering instead of out of suffering? What do you do when the hostility, the slander, and the opposition increases? Have you ever prayed about about being delivered from a situation and for the next month or year it just gets worse and you're like, hey, what's up with that? What do you do when that happens? Life skill number two. Here you go. Learn to wait. Learn to wait for final judgment and future deliverance from the Lord. So here's what he does in verses 3 and 4. He says, look, Lord, I've got confident trust. I'm praying in confident trust in you. I've got past, uh, past gratitude for answer prayer. I've got future grace for prayers to be answered in the future. In the meantime, verses 3 and 4. What shall be given to you? And what more shall be done to you? Verse 3 is a question. It's a question that's really kind of, it's a taunt. It's a taunt of his enemies. And he's saying, hey, you know what? You're going to get what you deserve and more. And then he lays it out in verse 4. What shall be given to you and what more shall be done to you? You deceitful tongue, sharp arrows of the warrior with the burning coals of the broom tree. And we're like, what is a broom tree? Okay, we have no clue. I have no clue. Here you go. Here's what it is. The point here is he asks a question to taunt his enemies in verse 3. And the answer is God's going to give you exactly what you deserve. You're going to reap what you, des- what, you, uh, what you have sown. So here's the, the two principles. When you're in a rock and a hard place, you're in a difficult place surrounded by unbelieving in a hostile world, and you're praying and, and your prayers have not yet been answered, wait for final vengeance. Wait for final vengeance from the Lord. Final vengeance. Final vengeance from the Lord on those who hate him and his peace. One of the most important verses in both the Old and New Testament is this. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says who? Says the Lord. So let's say that together. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And that is future vengeance. And do you know that verse? We think of it in the New Testament, Romans 12. But in reality, it first shows up in Deuteronomy 32, 35. And listen to this verse. You can look it up there in your Bibles. Deuteronomy 32, 35. Vengeance is mine and retribution. In due time, their foot will slip. For the day of their calamity is near and the impending things are hastening upon them. So listen, you watch the news, you see this increasing hostility. And if you're like me, you can get easily discouraged. You can think all is doom and gloom and you start taking that mindset into your your life and into your work and into your family. And the reality is, you know what? God's got this. 
their foot is going to slip. And when it does, it's going to be sudden, swift, and sure. The Lord is faithful to avenge His holiness and His people. This is all taught. I want to read some of these verses again. I just want you to see, this is an aspect of God that Christians are literally erasing out of the Bible, out of their preaching and out of their thinking about God. We have a God who is vengeful. I just sounded very politically incorrect. In fact, some would say, you sound very unchristian. But I've got a Bible that backs me up. And it's good to have a vengeful God. That means there is justice in the world. Listen, all these organizations and all these programs and all these people protesting for justice have no means of truly bringing them to reality. The only one who can is the God of vengeance. Doesn't mean we don't have something to do. Doesn't mean that we don't stand up, but we stand up Listen, if you're going to stand up for injustices, you make sure you point to the one who brings the justice. Amen? Because it's not going to be political parties. It's not going to be a presidential candidate. It's not going to be a protest. It's only going to be when the Lord finally comes and brings his vengeance. Listen to Deuteronomy 32, 41. If I sharpen my flashing sword and my hand takes hold on justice, I will render vengeance on my adversaries and I will repay those who hate me. That's the people that he's surrounded by. That's the people we are surrounded by increasingly. Deuteronomy 32:43 Rejoice O nations with his people for he will avenge the blood of his servants and will render vengeance on his adversaries and will atone for his land and his people people place in the presence of God that's what it's all about that's what it's all about and he says look nations rejoice with God's people rejoice we should rejoice that we have a vengeful God And that God is Jesus Christ, by the way. And we'll see that. This was taught all throughout the Psalms. Uh, Psalm 18. I'll just read two. Here's two biggies. So if you want to jot these down. Psalm 58.10. The righteous will rejoice when he sees the vengeance. He will wash his feet in the blood of the wicked. That's in the Bible. And we rejoice in that. It's Christian. To rejoice in that. Psalm 94, 1. O Lord, God of vengeance, God of vengeance, shine forth. Have you prayed that lately? You know, if we were really suffering, we would. We say, God, these injustices, people are suffering. My brothers and sisters are suffering. The persecuted people. We should cry out, God of vengeance. Defend your servants. Avenge your servants. This was taught in the prophets. Man, the prophets really go crazy. And by the way, several times, and I won't take time, but twice in Isaiah, it refers to God's vengeance. And then those passages are used in the New Testament by the apostles. So this isn't just the angry God of the Old Testament and the loving Jesus of the New Testament. No, this is one God. And and, and he is clothed in both mercy and vengeance. 
Let me uh, listen to Ezekiel 25:17. I will execute great vengeance on them with wrathful rebukes, and they will know that I am the Lord when I lay my vengeance on them. You see, the vengeance is a, a revelation of the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, of the promise-keeping God. Listen, if he promises to save us by his mercy, then he must equally keep his promise to judge the unbelieving by his wrath. Once you remove God's wrath from the gospel, you've removed God's mercy. Because if he can break his promise to judge the wicked, then he can break his promise to save the, 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 the humble and, and the repentant. And so all this comes together in this. And then the minor prophets. Listen to this. Micah 5.15. And I will execute vengeance in anger and wrath on the nations which have not obeyed. That's why we have missions. Because without the gospel, these nations are going to be under the wrath of God. A je- Listen to Nahum, Nahum 1.2. A jealous and avenging God is the Lord. All caps. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and he reserves wrath for his enemies. So this psalmist is very much in keeping to say, look, as I wait for God to deliver me, one thing I know, there is future judgment that is coming. And that helps me to persevere. So all this is picked up in the New Testament. Turn your Bibles to Romans twelve nineteen. Turn your Bibles to Romans 12:19 And again it's repeated in Hebrews 10:30. So what is this just an Old Testament truth? No, look at Romans 12:19. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. It's his vengeance, not mine. That's why we suffer in silence. That's why we willingly suffer because we know I don't have to fight back. The Lord will take care of it in the end. And that brings us to the second principle that he has in verse 4. Wait for future vindication by the Lord. So there's a future vengeance from the Lord on those who hate the Lord. And there's a future vindication by the Lord of those who love him. (coughs) And that's the focus in verse 4. Notice what he says. What's, what are they going to get? What do they deserve? The sharp arrows of the warrior. We saw in verse 2 that they have lying lips, deceitful tongue. They have sharp words. And basically what he's saying, your sharp words are going to get sharp arrows from the Lord. I think it's very interesting that in Revelation 19, the Lord is going to come <coughs> and out of his mouth is a, fi- is a sword that is the word of the Lord. It's the sharp word of God's judgment that is going to render useless the slander of his enemies. You who hate God's peace will go to war with God and be defeated. And then he says the sharp arrows are not only sharp arrows, but look at the end of verse 4. They're fiery darts. He says with burning coals of the broom tree. (coughs) Now what you have to understand about the broom tree is... Its roots, you would dig up the roots of the broom tree and you would use it for charcoal. It would burn hot. It burned hot and it burned easily. 
and it would also burn um, suddenly. So you could have charcoal there, and it would kind of go out, and then the desert breeze would blow over there, and suddenly that those coals would just flame up. So what's he saying? He's saying, look, this is all the judgment of God that's coming on you. God's jumping. You want to burn God's people? Well, let me tell you, you're going to burn suddenly. You're going to burn hot and you're going to burn eternally with God's fiery judgment. And you go to Revelation 19 and the Lord comes with the sword of his mouth, that sharp judgment. And he casts uh, the unbelieving in the lake of fire that burns forever. This is the judgment. Listen. We're still looking forward to that. That's what we're, we're waiting for. We are waiting for that final judgment. So then what happens? You've prayed. You're waiting. What, what's left there to do? You're still not hearing answers. You're still not being delivered. Life skill number three. Learn to lament that we still live in a world at war with the Lord and His people. You've got to learn to lament that we still live in a war world at war with God's people. And that's what he does in these next three verses. Look at these three verses. Woe is me, for I'm still living in Meshech, for I dwell among the tents of Cater. I'm in a rock and a hard place. I'm sandwiched in between hostile, unbelieving people. Too long has my soul had its dwelling with those who hate peace. Man, you go to work in an unbelieving world. Have you ever thought this has gone on too long? Yeah. With those who hate peace. I am, literally it is, I am peace. I am peace. I am a person of peace. I promote peace. I practice peace. But when I speak, they are for war. I'm about God's peace in the gospel. And every time I speak, they shut me down, they turn me off, and they attack me. Now, what is lamenting? I like to get good, memorable definitions. I gave you one of Providence last week. This is longer because lamenting is this. Lamenting is the lost art. Listen, we, we have lived too, well, too long in comfort, too much in abundance to actually lament. And so this is a lost art of expressing our feelings. It's an emotional expression of sadness, brokenness, and helplessness over the heartbreaking consequences of sin in a fallen world. So it could be my sin, it could be sin of others, or it could be just the fact that the world's broke and nobody can fix it. That good, that's, I know that's shocking news for you fixers out there. But the reality is, it's a broken world, and nobody can fix it. And so, and it's done in a God-honoring way. There's a lot of a lamenting going on right now in these protests. That is a form of lament. It's just not a God-honoring form. A God-honoring, soul-searching form. It, 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 you lament is where you look on the inside and you say, God, how am I responding to this brokenness? Where am I contributing to it? that humbly submits to the Lord and His providence over all things. Now, I know that's long, but here's, here's the simpler idea, and I have it in your notes. Lamenting is godly weeping, mourning and grieving over the heartbreaking consequences of sin in a fallen world. Lamenting is often done in prayer, in song, and even in silence. 
An entire book of the Bible is called Lamentations. The book of Psalms is full of psalms of lament, and this is one of them. It ends with a lament. If you want to see what lamenting looks like, go to Job 2 and see what his three friends did. They, they wept and they raised their voices. They wailed and they tore their clothes and they threw dust upon their heads and they sat. And sometimes lamenting is simply sitting in silence because the weight of sin is so great. So I gave you some notes there. Lamenting is weeping, not whining. Okay, we got to make sure we know what we're doing. It's groaning, not griping. Okay. Sometimes we think we're, we're, we're lamenting and we're just griping and whining. It's mourning, not murmuring. It's grieving, not glossing over the pain. It's grieving. It's expressing the pain that is inside. It's not glossing over it. See, our temptation and what's going on uh, for many Christians is to ignore the great injustices to ignore the pain that's going on around us and we need to be lamenting that we need to be grieving it it's expressing our deep feelings in a god-honoring way not a god-dishonoring way so here's the point learn to lament that we live in a land that's far from the lord and getting farther among a people who are at war and getting more violent do verses 5 through 7. As long as we live in a hostile world, here's the three things he laments. Where we still have to live. We live in a place that's not the new Jerusalem and is far from the new creation. Amen? We still haven't got home yet, people. We're pilgrims. We're sojourners. Amen? Don't you get sometimes tired of living here? Okay, you need to come to the seniors. They sing mashing over the hilltop. They're looking for that, that place, right? All right. Woe is me. That's the language of lament. Then notice verse 2. Lament how long we have to live here. We have been here too long. I want to be with him, don't you? We've been here too long. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. We should lament that he hasn't come yet. Okay, that's his presence. So we got his place, his presence. And then verse 3, as long as we live in a hostile world, we should lament about who we are living among. A people who hate peace and are at war with the Lord. He says, I am peace. I'm a peacemaker. But everybody around me is at war, at war with God, at war with one another. So you got his place, his presence, his people. Here's what we are. We're longing for that place where God's presence will be worshipped with His people. That's what we long for. And what do we do in the meantime? Romans 12, 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. And you say, well, what happens if they won't be at peace with me? Pray, wait, lament. Listen, here's, a big, here's the thing. I don't think I've ever had anybody give me advice when I was in a difficult conflict that wasn't getting resolved, to ever say, you know what, I will sit and lament with you. I will sit and grieve that this situation simply is not changing. See, we're a fix-it people. And we, have, we are too quick to say, well, let's just pray about it and move on. We just need to grieve. So here's the application. I got a couple things. First of all, begin the practice of praying, waiting, and lamenting. When you're in unchanging circumstances, don't murmur, don't gripe, don't whine. Learn to pray, wait, lament. Okay. Secondly, create a playlist of music 
that's filled with lamenting. Now, don't listen to it all the time. You'll get depressed, okay? But there is music with lamenting in it, and you will learn how to lament. And I've given you at least three CDs to begin with. And then, because listen, so, so much of Christian music is rah, rah, go Jesus, right? That it's sickening after a while. It's not real to the real world. You need lament. You need sorrow. You need pain. Third, study and pray through the Psalms of lament. Look how many of them there are. There's a ton of them. Because life's hard in a hostile world. Amen? And then finally, seek to respond with prayers of lament. So what you have on your table is a prayer of lament and a proclamation of hope. And, and you ought to keep this in your Bible. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to keep this in a place where I can get to it. And the next crisis that comes, it may have happened while we're in church. It'll probably happen within the next 24-hour news cycle. Take this out and pray it back to God. Amen? And, and proclaim hope. Point people to the Lord. I don't know about you, but I thought this was just really cool that our, our, our journey to joy begins in such a difficult place. Because I don't know you, I can relate to that. But we don't have to stay there, but sometimes we're there longer than we want. And we need to pray, we need to wait, and we need to lament. Let's pray. Father, help us to regain the lost art of lamenting. Help us to surrender our idea that we're in control. At the same time, Lord, let us grip hard on the idea that you are in control and your purposes will be fulfilled. And so, Father, uh, may we build a file cabinet of answered prayer May we wait for the future vengeance, the future vindication of your people. And Lord, may we learn to lament in prayer, in weeping, weeping with those who weep. May we mourn and grieve that we are still in a world at war with God. And it hurts. And it can be painful. It can be deadly. But you are the Lord with the power and the promises to deliver us out of the difficult places. We pray to you, O Lord, and entrust our nation, the world, our local community, yes, our local church, and even our personal lives to you, the great I Am God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Be encouraged. Learn to lament. <laughs>